Harry Cruz, was born in 1935, he died in 2012. He's a professor of creative writing at the University of Florida. He was also a novelist. And when he died, the New York Times wrote a piece about him. They described his writing as being gothic southern or dark fiction. When, everybody, when anybody describes a writer or a movie or a show as dark fiction, what they mean is writes about the community of fallen humanity. So Harry Cruz wrote all these novels about the hardship of the human situation. Grew up in South Georgia, terribly poor, destitute, And in his memoirs, at the end of his life, he talked about how he and a friend of his named Willily used to daydream about the people in the Sears catalog as a way of escape. See, those of you who don't know much about the Sears catalog, it's like the equivalent of today's internet. It's really true. They'd go through the pages of the Sears catalog and they'd see all the new fashions, they'd see the new games, they'd see the new toys, and it would be quite possible if you grew up poor in the 40s and 50s, that's what you would do to see all the good things of life. And in his memoirs, this is what he writes about he and his friend turning through the pages of the catalog. He says, nearly everybody I knew had something missing. They either had a finger cut off, a toe split, an ear half chewed up, or they had an eye clouded with blindness. But the people in the catalog, they had no such hurts. They were not only whole, they were beautiful. And then Harry Cruz writes that uh, even he and Willily knew that those pictures were lying. He says, under those fancy clothes, there had to be scars. There had to be swellings and boils of one kind or another because there was no other way to live in the world. And I decided, he writes, that all the people in the catalog, they were also related, maybe not by blood, but they all knew one another. And because they knew one another, along with loving one another, there also had to be hard feelings, trouble between them off and on, violence. And sometimes even hate. See, I think Harry Cruz was right. Reminds me, looking at all our social media, we look pretty good, don't we? Particularly you Georgia fans. And I'm not being critical about that. I think, uh, I think it's great to post your, your great pictures. I think it's good to look at those great pictures on social media. As long as we know better. In Harry Cruz's words, as long as we know that underneath our fancy clothes, we all have something missing. Maybe not a finger, maybe not a toe, maybe not an ear. But there's a lot wrong with us, is there not? And look, I'm a pastor. I also know because we live in community. Sure, we love one another. But... There are some hard feelings. There's trouble that comes on and off. Maybe even some hate. We're not right, are we? 
That's why we have Christmas. But for God, in Christ Jesus, intervening in the world, we have no hope. Let me say it like this. God radically intervenes in this world, in our world, in the community of our church to reverse the ways of man because left to ourselves, left to our own thoughts, left to our own actions, we will never go where we need to go. The only hope we have that the world can be fixed and we can be fixed is for God to dramatically intervene. And this is our hope as Christians And this is why Mary is praising God in our passage that we're about to read. It's actually not Luke chapter 2, it's Luke chapter 1. I pushed the wrong button when I sent it to Morgan. But we're going to read this passage in Luke chapter 1 about Mary's song. Before we do that, I want to give you some background just in case you don't know uh, some of the little details of the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel has already come to Mary before she sings this song. And that angel Gabriel, he says, Mary, you have found favor, or you have found grace with God. And the angel goes on to tell her that she's going to bear a son. And if you read the gospel according to Matthew, she's told that his name will be Jesus because he comes to save his people from their sins. Matthew also says, you're going to refer to him as Emmanuel because he's God with us. And he will reign in his kingdom. There will be no end. And of course, Mary has some questions. She says, how can this be? And we can safely say that Mary didn't fully understand all the how. But her response to the angel is powerful, is it not? She says, behold... I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. After she meets with the angel, she takes a trip to go visit an older relative of hers, Elizabeth, who's also bearing a son, miraculously, John the Baptist. And Elizabeth is excited to see her. Not simply because she's pregnant with a child. She's excited to see Mary because she's full of the Holy Spirit. And she knows that Mary is carrying the Christ, the Messiah, God's own son. And this, about what we're going to read, this is Mary's response to all of this. Mary's response to the angel coming to her. Mary's response to Elizabeth's words. Mary praises God. Let's read it together. It's printed for you in your bulletins. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is Mary's song of praise. It's God's word. Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you for... We thank you for God becoming man. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word become flesh. And I ask this morning that you would meet with us through your spirit, through your word, that you would encourage those who are discouraged. That you would challenge maybe those who think they have it all together. That you would remind us this morning of our great need. We need healing each and every day. We look to you in faith. We look to you even in your word to meet with us and bless us. Be kind to us. Be merciful to us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have three things that Mary is praising God for. Mary's praising God because he is intervening in her life. It's not simply because she's going to have a baby. It's because the baby that she is carrying is the Messiah, is the great promise of God from the very beginning, and she's praising God that he is coming for her. But Mary's also praising God, not simply because he's coming for her, but he's coming for her people who also are God's people. And then lastly, Mary is praising God because she knows that he's coming to fix the world. God is, Mary is praising God because he has come for her, he's come for his people, he's come to fix the world, but there's a caveat with all of that. The caveat is God intervening in the world. It's in a way that we don't expect. And the results of God's coming into the world are different than what we would like. And we're going to sift through that in the rest of our sermon here. But listen, if you are discouraged this morning, if if you are in need, or if you recognize your need, if you understand that you're part of a human community that doesn't have what they need in order to make everything right, then you can rejoice this morning with Mary. You should be comforted this morning with Mary because God has come. But on the other hand, if you're part of that group of humanity who thinks they have it all together, if you're doing it on your own, if you think you're pretty self-sufficient, if you think this life is just the way it's supposed to be, then Mary's song should make you a little bit uncomfortable. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus didn't come because we could do it. Jesus didn't even come to say that it's all good the way it is. Jesus came because we can't do it in and of ourselves. And Jesus comes to fix everything that's wrong. Let's look at our passage this morning. Mary is, first of all, praising God because God is coming for her as an individual. She's praising God with all of her soul, with all of her spirit, which means all of her being, all of her heart. And it's flowing out of her. And we know the reason why. The angel has come to her, right? Tells her that she's going to have a baby. And this is good news. That baby's going to be the son of God. But you have to understand, from a human perspective, from Mary's perspective, simply looking at life from what she sees, you realize there are all sorts of reasons that Mary should not be doing this. 
You understand that? But she isn't married yet. And she hasn't done anything, if you know what I mean, to have a baby. This isn't normal. She's going to carry a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yeah, that sounds great, but, but who's going to believe that? The religious people in her day don't believe it. They think she's done something wrong. And the smart, educated elites of the world, they don't believe in miracles, so they might be nice to Mary. They might even feel sorry for Mary. But I bet they talked about her behind her back. Not only that, her future husband, Joseph, is going to have a few questions. And guess what? Mary on her own can't answer those questions. Joseph also has to have an angel come and explain this to him. And by the way, Mary is poor. Mary is very young. And she lives in a world that as a woman on her own, she cannot make it by herself. In fact, things are going to get much harder for Mary. And yet Mary, in the midst of this, is praising God with all of her being. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me, for he is holy. Mary's praising God because she's already known about her God long before the angel came to talk to her. Mary has trusted in his promises. And because she knows her God, she understands his promises. She knows how he works in the ordinary, mundane aspects of life. Because Mary's just an ordinary girl. We don't really like the ordinary, do we? I don't know about you, but the ordinary for me is full of stress. Muck, right? Waiting for people to love us for who we are. Wondering how things are going to work out tomorrow. Struggling through our jobs, our families, and our circumstances. And we want it all to be made right now. But that's not why Mary's praising God. Ordinary is hard. Ordinary isn't glamorous. Harry Cruz is right. Underneath our fancy clothes that we put on, there are scars, there are swellings, there are boils of one kind or another. But there's no other way to live in the world except the ordinary world that we have. And it's into this ordinary world that God, the creator of this world, comes in. Mary says in verse 48, God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God comes for Mary because she's in need. She is weak. But do understand that, God, or that Mary has responded to God's grace long before the angel ever came to her. I mean, she really knows her God, not just knows about her God. She knows who he is. She understands his promises. Look at the way she refers to him. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is mighty. He is holy. Mary already had this deep relationship with this God, and she trusted him. Look, even though I'm sure there were times where Mary must have wondered what God was doing in her life, Maybe there were days where Mary wondered where God was. And even though Mary 
had no way to comprehend all that the angel had told her. She knew her God. She trusted in his promises. And she sings this praise to God. Realize this song is filled with all sorts of references to the whole Old Testament. Our Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's song. There's a lot of similarities. She certainly knew about Hannah. This passage is full of references to the Psalms. There's a reference to the Exodus where God miraculously had already delivered his people. Before the angel comes, before he speaks with her, Mary is embedded in the story of God. She knows him. She loves him. She trusts him. And she understood that she was a part of something bigger than herself. And I know you get tired of hearing this, so I'm going to say it in a little bit different way. I want you to imagine this. Think about this. If the angel came to Mary and said all these things to her, even even after she talked with Elizabeth, if all she did before was look at social media instead of going to the synagogue, if her family simply talked about football or school or work instead of reciting God's promises and reading God's word, what do you think Mary's song would have sounded like? I don't know, but it wouldn't have sounded like this. Fleming Rutledge is uh, an author recently, last couple of years, wrote a book on the crucifixion of Christ. And she mentions how Jesus was immersed in Scripture. But I think Mary was immersed in Scripture as well. So I've taken her quote about Jesus and I've applied it to Mary. It's not exactly the same, but it'll get this point across. Listen to what Fleming Rutledge says. It's not too far-fetched to compare Mary's understanding of God's word to the young person of today who's continually plugged into electronic media. And I know all you young people are mad because I'm getting on to you about using your phones, but I realize I'm not just getting on to you, I'm, I'm talking to your parents. Anybody that has a smartphone. How much time do we spend in the world of our own making rather than thinking about God and his work on behalf of us as people? I think it's much easier for us today to know God's story than it was for Mary. Mary knew God had come for her because she was living in God's story. Many of us are living in our own stories of our own making And God is at work. We just don't see it. Mary's joy comes because she knows who her God is. She understands his promises. And because she knows her God and understands his promises, she's better able to live in the world that God has provided for her. Mary's praising God because she's in need and God comes for her. It's not only that, though. Secondly, Mary is praising God, not simply because God intervenes on her behalf, but she's excited because God is coming for her people who are also God's people. It's here where we get to see a pattern developing in Mary's song. 
helping us understand how God works, helping us understand how we are to live in God's world since Jesus Christ has come. Realize this, it's not only Mary that's low and despised, but all of God's people, when Jesus comes, they are all low and despised. They are weak. Mary's weak and unable to help herself, but so are God's people. You do realize that God's people in the day when Jesus came, they weren't the power brokers. They weren't electing their favorite politicians to office. They didn't even have a say in the public arena. They were looked down upon. And that's why Mary says in verse 50, mercy is for those who fear him. Taking, taking the emphasis off of her as an individual and moving it to the people of God. And she says, God's people fear the Lord. And if we, if we knew our Old Testament, we'd understand that fear is not what we think today, like being afraid in a, in a horror movie. Fear is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Fear for God's people meant that they recognized their need, their dependence, and their lack of ability and they threw themselves at the mercy of the Lord. That's what the fear of the Lord means. You see it in the psalm. Psalm 34 says, and I'm paraphrasing this, but Psalm 34 basically says, those who know the Lord know they sin, know they are sinners, and they cast themselves at God's mercy. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Because Psalm 36 says, the wicked, those who don't fear the Lord, you know what they do? They flatter themselves too much to know, detect, or hate their sin. People who fear the Lord know that they are in need, know that they are sinners, and their only hope comes from God. Let me strengthen this a little bit. People who fear the Lord, if we're going to be a church that fears the Lord in the biblical sense, we're going to know that sin and evil is not only outside these walls, Sin and evil resides right here in our own hearts. And unless God's grace comes, we have no hope. There's a pattern being developed here throughout Mary's song. The humble will be exalted, and the exalted will be humbled. The coming of Christ turns the world's ideas and the world's ways upside down. Mary is developing this idea and praising God even as she thinks about all his activity in the past. Let me me put it this way. Mary is remembering that the story of God's revelation of himself and how he presents man goes like this. That man, even God's people, they have been trying to build the perfect world ever since the beginning. Man has been seeking progress, trying to make things better. We see it in our world today, don't we? It's not working. The Bible is God's true story of making a people and making the world right again. And mankind, you and I, left to our own, we can't do it. Our ideas, the imaginations of our hearts, they always leave us lacking. That's why God's word, his prophets, his promises, they're always pointing to something new that is needed. And Mary is rejoicing because the new is about to come. And it's God 
in the flesh. All you have to do is think about our world today. There's no way that we can fix what's wrong with it. We can't fix what's wrong in our own hearts by ourselves. I think about it this way with all the, the news media. I know, I, I hope some of you watch the news every once in a while. All this um, sexual harassment accusations. Congress last week came up with an idea. Mandatory sexual harassment training for all our politicians. And, and I'm not minimizing that. That's certainly necessary, wouldn't you think? It's necessary. But don't think it's going to fix the heart of man. I'm not saying it's bad, but let's not pretend that our own devices and our own thoughts and our own abilities can fix the problems that reside in our own hearts. All of God's word is always pointing to him having to act, not only for individual people, but for God's people. Because left to ourselves, we are a mess. So Mary's praising God in the midst of the mess. It's a personal mess. It's a community of messes in a world of mess. And she can praise God in this mess because something new is about to happen that changes everything. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. So God comes for Mary. God comes for his people. But also, God comes to change the world. With the incarnation of Christ, God's kingdom has come in a new and powerful way. And it all begins with the coming of Christ. Coming as a man to make all things right. And listen, we often miss this, especially Christians, by the way. When God works, it is never like we would expect, and it's never the way that we would do it. I mean, even at Christmas, we have a tendency to get one side of the story right, but there's another side, and if we miss the other side, we miss the whole thing. Of course, there's that, that, that side of Christmas that we like, right? Mary's rejoicing because God has come in his mercy and grace to fulfill his promise. Mary's rejoicing because he has looked with favor on the weak, the humble, and the lowly. And the sweet side of Christmas is that he fills the hungry and exalts those of humble estate. That's the sweet side. You realize there's another side. If he's going to bring the sweet side, he's going to have to scatter the proud. He's going to have to bring down the mighty. He's going to have to send the rich away empty. And it's not all fun and games. Here's the point. Let me say it like this. We get all caught up at Christmas time with some people wanting to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, don't we? Do you realize there's nothing merry about Christmas without Christ Jesus and the best the world can offer is happy holidays? And if we're going to make a big deal about saying Merry Christmas, you know what? We ought to be sincere enough to know that the people that are saying happy holidays, that's the best that they can come up with. And we need to love them enough to say Christmas is merry, but it's only because of Christ. And Christ comes to make us new and to change my bad heart and to give me a new heart so that I can love people. You see, we like to sentimentalize Christmas, don't we? Come on, don't we? And, and I know it, my wife's sick this morning, but if, if she were here, she'd say, oh, no, here goes Todd. He's, gonna about, he's about to go down the Bah Humbug place, right? I'm not. I really am not. 
I have more lights at my house for everybody here except for David Smoke. <laughs> but this is not a sentimental song. Mary's not being sentimental here. You want to know how Flannery O'Connor describes Flannery O'Connor, the great Southern writer, how she describes being sentimental? Listen to this. Being sentimental is a distortion in the direction of overemphasizing innocence. Being sentimental, then, is just thinking everything is okay. She says it's the lazy person's way of receiving data about life without struggle. And such a strategy keeps unpleasant truths at bay. You know what the unpleasant truth is? None of us are innocent. That's why Jesus comes. We should be joyful at Christmas, but we need to be joyful for the right things. And here's the problem. It's great. It is truly great that God has been born a man, that he, he was born a sweet little baby, born under the law, born to a woman, and that he was born in a manger. That's really sweet for us. It's not sweet for God. God being born just like me from the womb of a woman, that is unheard of. And, and not only that, I don't care what any of you say, it's not, it's not pleasant to be born in a manger. There's no way that any woman here wants to have a baby in a manger with her husband all by herself. The point is, joy is not sentimentalism, keeping unpleasant truths at bay. The point is this, listen, joy is looking at unpleasant truths straight in the face and knowing that God has come for us, and even though it's hard, we can trust our God because God has come, and he's making things right. And if God is going to make things right, he's going to have to deal with the wrong. In fact, if he's going to completely deal with the wrong, if he's going to completely make everything right, he's got to get rid of all the wrong, and that means all the wrong in my heart, all the wrong in your heart, and all the wrong in the world. That's why Mary says, the proud are scattered, the mighty will be brought down, and the rich will be sent away empty. God has to deal with with our sin if he's going to make things right. Jesus comes because there's something terribly wrong in our hearts, something terribly wrong in the world, and we can't fix it ourselves, but he can. That's why we say Merry Christmas. We don't look the other way. We look right through the trouble in our own hearts and right through the trouble in the world, and we see Jesus Christ, and we know he's come. Somebody said it like this. Sin cannot be overcome by human determination, human capacity, or human moral resolve. God has to overcome it, and he does so with the incarnation. Another thing that we need to take from this. Mary's rejoicing. Mary is really happy. Her whole soul beams with the love of God, but you do realize that Mary's life doesn't get any easier. In fact, I'll make the case that it got harder. Mary trusted God's view of her, submitted willingly to it, and for her the cost was high. It hurt. Her son was opposed by the world. He even died on a cross, and her own soul was pierced, and she was filled with sorrow. Trusting God through her pain must have been terribly difficult. 
Certainly she didn't understand everything that was going on, but she lived by faith. Mary was called just like we are to a life patterned after the one who came. And the simplest way to say it is the way to the things that we yearn for, the way to the things that we were created for, the way to glory always goes through the cross. It means we should struggle in this life. We're going to struggle in this life. And we're going to go through those struggles powerfully with hope because Christ has come. None of this means we aren't supposed to be joyful. None of this means that we can't celebrate Christmas in a powerful way. But joy is not simply being happy or sentimental. Joy is happiness in the midst of struggle. And joy is looking at the struggle and seeing Christ Jesus, who's dramatically intervened in our lives, dramatically intervened in the lives of our church, and is dramatically working in this world. We're to celebrate Christmas, brothers and sisters, not because we get presents as much as we ought to love getting presents. We don't celebrate Christmas because of the good food and the great parties, because it makes us feel happy or helps us get away from the pain. We celebrate Christmas because without Christ, we have no hope. We have nothing to sustain us when we lose loved ones if we don't have Jesus Christ. We have nothing to help us with the mess that we're made of our lives if we don't have Jesus Christ. But with the, with the coming of Christ, looking to him, we have a sure and certain knowledge that God has acted and he will not stop acting until all things are made right. And that's what Christmas is about. God has come. God has come for us as individuals. God has come for us as a people. And God has come to change the world. And he will continue to work in the way that he deems best until all things will be made right. So what should, you, what should you do this month to make Christmas different or to not get distracted this month? Let me, all sorts of things I could tell you. All sorts of things I could tell you based on your different circumstances, right? But we'd be here all day and I don't think you want to be here all day. This is what you need to be doing. We have four Sundays in Advent this Christmas. And every Sunday at this church, we're going to talk about a different song that somebody sings about the coming of Jesus Christ. And the Sunday after each sermon, you ought to go home with your family, whether it be you as an individual, whether you have a spouse, whether you have kids, whether you have friends, whatever. And you are to sing those songs. This afternoon, you should sing this song with Mary. And you should look at the the full picture of Christmas. And whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you have children, whether you don't have children, whether you're alone or whether you got too many people around. If you sing this song with Mary, you will rejoice in the midst of your ordinary life and you will have hope. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. And yet many of us must confess that left to our own, we need to be humbled. We need to be broken. We need to be reminded of why you came. There are others in here that are already broken. And they need to be reminded of the same. That you have come to lift them up. We thank you for the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the beauty of this season. We thank you that we alone, as your people can truly understand the depths of sorrow in this world and yet rejoice because you have come. Help us to celebrate the birth of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.